ask you to take your Bibles and turn with me back in the prophecy of Isaiah to chapter 9, where we find ourselves in this series of sermons. We're at verse 6, and we're parked here at the moment. Last Lord's Day, we considered the beginning of this. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. Uh, With the Lord's help, we'll consider the second section this afternoon and then go on next week uh, with what follows regarding Christ's name. So we're in Isaiah 9, and we're going to stay in verse 6, not go over into verse 7 uh, this afternoon. But in verse 6, we read, For unto us a child is born, and unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder. And his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Our focus, the focus of our meditations this afternoon, are on those words, and the government shall be upon his shoulder. The government shall be upon his shoulder. At the formation of these United States, Uh, A government was designed uh, with a balance of powers. Uh, It was designed with three branches of government. So we have the executive branch of government, the legislative branch, and the judicial branch. Children, you'll learn about these things in school. The executive branch is the administrative arm. Legislative branch is the branch uh, given the responsibility for the formation of laws and so on and the judicial branch for the enforcement of, of those laws. So you have three branches of government, and then those, are, those, three brands, those three branches are actually transacted at three different levels of government. So we have, we have those three branches, but then there are three levels. You have the federal level or the national level, then you have the state level, and then you have the, the local level. So it's sort of like you know, nine squares, if you will, Um, rather simple in terms of design. So in the executive, at the federal level, there's a president. At the state level, there's a governor. At the local level, there's a mayor. At the legislative branch, you've got Congress consisting of the Senate and House of Representatives at the federal level, state legislature at the state level, city council at uh, the local level, and so on. Judicial branch, everything from the the highest court, Supreme Court, down to the, the, the county courthouse, and so on. So this was the design, right? These three branches of, of, of government. And so it's interesting then when we turn our attention from one nation uh, among many uh, in the annals of, of history, we turn our attention then to the great king, to the Lord Jesus Christ and to his glorious kingdom and government that we, we read in Isaiah 33, Uh, verse 22, and you'll see all three of these features coming out. Uh, We're told there, uh, for the Lord, that is Jehovah, is our judge. The Lord, or Jehovah, is our lawgiver. And the Lord, or Jehovah, is our king. He will save us. So Jehovah is our judge, our king, and our lawgiver. He, and he alone, will save us. And so here in in Isaiah chapter 9, uh, verse 6, 
uh, we're, we're told that so- someone is given to us. We noticed last week that there is a gift uh, that is given, and it's not just a gift, but it's a person. It's the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. Unto us a child is born. Unto us a son is given. But he is given not just in the abstract. He's given in the first instance, this passage says, as a governor. And so there's a governor with a government. And it has been laid upon the shoulders of one described here as a child. Laid upon the shoulders of one who is the son. The son of God himself who becomes the incarnate word. And so this child is given, this son, or a child is born and son is given in the first instance as a government, as a governor. The government of his kingdom is shouldered by him and him alone. And it's a, it's a government that is erected for captive sinners, a government erected for captive sinners. We're going to note three things this afternoon as we consider these words, and the government shall be upon his shoulder. First of all, the governor. Secondly, the government. And then thirdly, those who are governed. So first of all, the governor. This is none other than the Lord Jesus Christ, as we saw uh, last Lord's Day. The Lord Jesus Christ is the governor, the person on whom this burden is, is laid, this child, this son. And it is a burden that is laid upon him, first of all, in eternity. It is laid upon him in eternity, appointed of his father from before the beginning, so that he is the one appointed by God to, to shoulder these burdens. He's, he's actually born uh, in time and, and given in time, Uh, to us uh, to be governor, but it reaches back into the councils of of God. And so this this governor uh, is provided by none other than the Lord himself, and so we are called to submit to him. You'll remember how this comes out in a variety of ways in the gospel. So we, especially in the gospel of of John, uh, we see the glory of Jesus Christ. We see uh, him as the God-man. But we, we see this respect in terms of government. In John 5, verse 22, For the Father judgeth no man, but hath committed all judgment unto the Son. Right? The government shall be upon his shoulder. That all men should honor the Son, even as they honor the Father. He that honoreth not the Son, honoreth not the Father, which hath sent him. And so it is Jesus Christ who is shouldering all of this. Now, you think in terms of what this means, what it depicts for us. For Christ to be the governor describes for us a close relationship between his subjects, his people, and him as king and governor. He is the prince, and there is his people. In other words, Christ is joined to them as as their prince or, or governor. There is one kingdom, the kingdom of the Lord Jesus Christ comprised both of its prince and of of its subject. But there is only one prince. There aren't two. There aren't a succession of governors. There, There aren't, you know, it's not as if it's laid upon his shoulder at this moment and another's shoulder at another moment. No, there is one prince, one governor, 
one head and king of his church, the one described elsewhere in the Old Testament as Messiah the Prince. Messiah the Prince. And so the little k kings of this world are called to submit to his reign. We, we sing that in Psalm 2, you know, the, the, the kings and judges are to kiss the sun and they are to learn to serve the Lord with, with fear and rejoice with trembling, to serve the Lord, to ser- ser- serve Jehovah. You come into the New Testament, you see the same, Revelation 1 verse 5, and from Jesus Christ who is, among other things, the prince of the kings of the earth. And so even the, the monarchs of this world are to find their place and even their purpose under the reign of the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the only prince. But not only is there just one governor, there's also one lawgiver. He is the, as governor, he is the only lawgiver. We're told at the end of Matthew 28, all power and authority is given unto me in heaven and in earth. All power, all authority is deposited in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. This is why the Father speaks from heaven and says, this is my beloved son. Hear him. Listen to him. He's the one who speaks. He is the word, the eternal word. He's the lawgiver, the legislator. And this is an important point because in his kingdom, there's only one legislator. That is our governor. That is the one who shoulders this government, the Lord Jesus Christ himself. And so we think in terms of our biblical and Presbyterian principles of church power, right? There is given to the church no discretionary power. The power of the church is not legislative. The church can't can't make new laws. The power of the church is declarative. Thus saith the Lord. That's where the power lies. He's the one who makes the laws. The, 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 the power of the church is ministerial, not magisterial. Right? As, as Peter says, not lords over the, to lord over the Lord's heritage and so on and so forth. One lawgiver, the Lord Jesus Christ himself. And so he alone has the authority, for example, in his government, in his government, he alone is the one who who erects offices and appoints officers. He's alone the one who 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 appoints ordinances. No one else can 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 take that power to themselves and creating ordinances. Right? Only he is is permitted to do that. And in terms of the, the what he requires of us at, at large. So He's the governor, the Lord Jesus Christ. He's also the judge. He's the judge of all. He's the only judge of all. He's the one who who distributes rewards and who distributes punishments. That's true right here and right now, as well as in the end, on the last day, at the final judgment, the great judgment of, of all the earth. And so the Lord Jesus Christ alone is the judge in his, in his government. He has the power to give repentance as a gift to needy sinners. 
and to turn them from sin to himself. He has the power as well to grant pardon, to forgive those who have infracted his, his law. This is the Lord Jesus Christ. He has the power to grant forgiveness. You remember Mark 2, uh, verses 10 and 11, but that ye may know that the Son of Man hath power on earth to forgive sins. He says, Arise, take up thy bed, and go thy way into thy house. The Lord Jesus Christ has these, these powers. So he's the, he's the only prince. He's the only lawgiver. He's the only judge. He alone is capable of, of saving us. And what a wonderful thing this is to have a king who is a savior and a savior who is a king. He's a shepherd king. Right? He comes with a, a shepherding capacity. This should be true of magistrates in this world. There should be a shepherding uh, dimension to, to the magistrates of this world. They are to be nursing fathers and nursing mothers to the church, as Isaiah 49 tells us. That should be the case, but it is not the case by far and away most, most often. But here is one who truly is that, as the king of his own government and kingdom. He is a shepherd. What does he do? Here is a king who leaves everything, who condescends to come in and among us, and then a king who, in, in the riches of his mercy, distributes out of his own resources freely and sacrificially to enrich we who are impoverished. And to, and to strengthen and provide for us in every way. Right? The typical, historically and at present, the typical, the typical approach of, the, of, of modern magistrates is what? They secure power by hook or crook. They get their position and then they use that position to fleece the population in order to enrich and engorge themselves both in terms of power and prestige, as well as in terms of money and resources and so on. People don't leave office poorer than when they entered it. They always leave office far richer than when they, they entered it. That, that, that human experience, I, I mention it purely at this point, for this point, for this sake, and that is to set off, by way of contrast, the glory of Jesus Christ, who is so unlike what we're used to. As, as a king, as the governor of, of his, his people, right? He comes to shoulder the burden. He says, you know, and this is what, again, all authority structure is given for. Husbands are to shoulder the burden on behalf of their wives. Fathers shoulder the burden on behalf of their, their children. Uh, office bearers in the church shouldering the bur burden on behalf of the people. Magistrates shouldering the burden on behalf of the citizenry and so on. That's depicted here. Jesus is carrying all the weight. He's the one who's carrying all of the weight in terms of the government for the benefit of, of his people, bearing the burdens. Christ alone is the head of his church. Christ alone is the king of his church. Right? The annals of history demonstrate the extent to which the church has gone to defend and die for this point. Our own personal history as a denomination is brims with this theme of contending for the crown rights of King Jesus to be the only head and king of his church, right? He's the supreme governor. It's not given to the Pope of Rome. We don't need to rehearse that. 
It's not given to the, the civil government. We don't need to rehearse that. It's given to Jesus Christ and to him alone. And he will reign. He does reign. He has reigned and he will continue to reign until he puts all of his enemies under his footstool. Overwhelming triumph. Victory. All of his enemies subjected under, under his feet. And so this is the governor. Unto us a child is born. Unto us a son is given. The government shall be upon his shoulder. My dear friends, how much we need to receive him. How much we need to receive him. You know, the, 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 in the words of the book of Proverbs, My son, give me thine heart. The Lord comes to us as the child, as the son, as the governor. And he's saying, give me thine heart. It's in safekeeping in the hands of the Lord. Amidst all of your pride, your pride that, that, that refuses, that, that, that is slow and apprehensive to give your heart to the king. To keep, as it were, this deluded sense of the reins of power in your own hands. The Lord says, cease your pride. Come, give me your heart. You are covetous and you, the things of this world, you have an insatiable appetite for them. The Lord comes and he says, no, no, don't give your heart to these empty Broken cisterns that can hold no water. Don't give them to these idols, which are a burden and bane to you. Give me thine heart. To receive the Lord Jesus Christ as the one who alone can save. To receive the Lord Jesus Christ as the only Lord. This is what we're being called upon to do. To renounce all others. All others that would take the place of Lord. Other people and things and places and powers and so on to renounce every other lord and to say i will have one and one only the lord jesus christ he is the governor it's in isaiah 26 we read in verse 13 O lord our god other lords beside thee have had dominion over us but by thee only Will we make mention of thy name? We've spent all our days under the boot of other lords. No more. Let Christ reign alone over us. To be Lord of all in our life. To be Lord forever. Throughout our life in time and eternity. And to do so cheerfully. To do so willingly. To come under his reign. I mean, he is the governor who is perfectly, flawlessly just. He is the governor who is infinitely wise in knowing precisely the needs of his people. He is the one who has limitless goodness so that everything he does is perfectly wise and good. And he's also invincible in his power. He can affect all that's wise and good, all that is just. Why? Why, oh, why would you give your heart to any other? Why, oh, why would you have any other to be Lord and governor over you? Well, we have the governor. Secondly, we have the government. And the government shall be upon his shoulder. 
This government is a burden. It's described here as a, an enormous weight, right? The government is a weight. And the shoulder is in the Bible pictured, a picture for bearing burdens, right? The shoulder is what pulls. The shoulder is what carries. The shoulder is for bearing burdens. You think of the, the descriptions given in Isaiah 49 in terms of the, the 12 tribes. You have in verse uh, 15, this is Issachar, and bowed his shoulder to bear and became a servant unto tribute. Right? That's the picture that we're, we're given, the picture of the shoulder for bearing burdens. Well, who, who are we going to find? Who's the, who's the father going to find? Who's, who's anybody going to find? Who, who are we going to find who is able to shoulder this government, the government of this kingdom? Who's capable of it? Who's in a position and, and has the abilities to shoulder it? The answer is clear as crystal, none but Christ. There is none but the child that has been born, the son that has been given, who is capable of bearing the burden of this, this government, right? His, his government is vast. It's enormous, bigger than any of the empires of this, this world, bigger than, than the empires of, of Assyria and Babylon and the Medes and the Persians and the Greeks and the Romans and, and the Ottomans and the, and the Brits and America and whatever else. You say, how so? Well, it's so vast that it spans two worlds. Heaven and earth. All power and authority is given unto me in heaven and earth. If that's not enough, also what's in between those two things? Because in Revelation 1 verse 18, we're told that he has the keys to death. That's what lies between heaven and earth. The whole package, right? Everything, vast. You look at this world. His dominion is from sea to sea. It stretches from the river to the ends of the earth. His, his, his kingdom is vast. This is the government that has been laid upon his shoulder. It's a kingdom, as our catechism says, of grace. He's the head of his church. He brings forward this progress of his kingdom by grace. It's a kingdom as well of glory. It's a kingdom that is forever and ever and ever. It's enduring. It expands into and throughout eternity. It's a kingdom, you can think in terms of providence, in which he governs all his creatures and all their, their actions. And all of this in tandem with him destroying the kingdom of Satan. Obliterating it. Humiliating it. Annihilating it. The kingdom of Satan. This is the government that has been laid upon his shoulders. But the burden is more than just that. The vastness of it. It's also the purchase of it. Because when it says that the government should be upon his shoulders, he purchased it with the shedding of his own blood. Who's prepared or capable to shoulder that? He destroys the kingdom of Satan. He advances the kingdom 
of grace and he hastens the king of glory because he, as the great king, gave all, including himself, offering himself as a sacrifice for sin. He purchased it with the shedding of his own blood. And so the Father is pleased to exalt him to the high hill of Zion, to make him the king of kings and lord of lords, to exalt him above all, to give him the heathen for his inheritance, the uttermost parts of the earth for his possession. It's all his. He set out to destroy Satan's kingdom. He went, and there was a burden in it, to wage war with the devil. And he did so. He crushed his head. He stomped it into the dust. He stomped the head of the serpent into a grease spot on the ground. He came forward to subdue a people to himself, to take the elect, to call them out of this wretched kingdom of darkness, to exercise dominion over them and to bring them under the kingdom of himself. And in that kingdom, he continues to bear the, 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 the weight of it all. He's the one who takes responsibility to defend Zion. Who's going to protect her? Who's going to protect her when the devil decides that he wants to, to remove her? Who's going to protect Zion when the whole world rises up against her? When governments and wicked rulers and when powerful people and forces and resources and ideology and all exert everything they have in order to obliterate Zion. Who's going to defend her then? Who's going to protect her then? The answer is he who bears, he who shoulders the government. The Lord Jesus Christ is. You think even on the last day you get past the sixth vial, the seventh vial, and there, you know, the, you have the gathering of all of the kings of the earth to wage war against God's people. It's the Lord Jesus Christ who delivers. He's the one who comes riding forth and triumph with the sword out of his mouth whose vesture is dipped in blood and who has the word of God written upon his thigh he is the one who is the governor the church has enemies within as well as enemies without there are those who come to wreak havoc with schism and disruption and and scandal and all sorts of things wolves in sheep's clothing even and so on there's there's enemies without Christ alone, who shoulders the government, he defends her, he protects her. And so the church is hid under the refuge, which is Christ himself. And he is a strong tower to her, and she's secure. And, and therefore, you can have in the earliest days after the apostles, wave upon wave upon wave of persecution that seek to remove the, the church as a scourge from the earth. And she comes forth emerging triumphant out of that. And though the, the martyrdom was great, and the blood that was shed was, was enormous. She comes out stronger and brighter than she was before. And so it is ever since. He's the one who shoulders the government. He provides for his people. He provides for his, his own church. You think of poor Moses, right? Described as the meekest man on earth by the Bible, in the Bible. Meek indeed. What a burden. He had to shoulder the burden of taking that rebel-rousing, obnoxious, obstinate, 
backward-facing, belligerent, unbelieving group, massive group of people, and to haul them through a howling wilderness. Moses was shouldering a big, big burden to get the people of God through the wilderness. But he's only a tiny little fraction of a picture because Christ is the one who shoulders the government who gets Zion through the wilderness of this world and to the new Jerusalem, to the heavenly Canaan. He's more than capable. He provides. He gave manna day by day for his people. Their shoes never wore out. Water was provided. What was needed, necessary was there. The Lord is able to do that. And he does do it. This is the government he shoulders. He provides everything that his people need. And yet, despite this, there are many who continue to say, we will not have this king rule over us. Some of you sitting in front of me this afternoon, you will not have this king rule over you. You won't do it. Despite all of the benefits and all of the blessings that are set before you. You're described well in Hosea 13. Verse 9, O Israel, this is the visible church. O Israel, thou hast destroyed thyself. But in me is thine help. What are you thinking? You're destroying yourself. And it's in the Lord that help is found. He says, verse 10, I will be thy king. Where is any other that may save thee? In all thy cities, and thy judges of whom thou saidest, give me a king and princes. To refuse the reign of Christ is to embrace the reign of the devil. There's nothing in between. There's no other alternatives. It's one or the other, either or. To either give yourself to the reign of the most cruel, hateful, abominable, diabolical, wicked, despotic, tyrannical, evil being in existence. Or to bring yourself under the reign of the child who was born and the son who was given. The Lord Jesus Christ. My dear friend, receive him as king. Lay hold of him as king. Come under his government. Take his yoke upon you. Learn of him. He is the one who must be your and my Lord to walk by his rule. And that rule is the scriptures alone. Not the counsels of men. Not the word of even the godly men. But the word of God alone, to walk by this rule, to have him rule over us as Lord, for his will to be made your will, so that you will what he wills, so that the two are brought into alignment, so that your tongue is no longer your tongue, but it's a tongue that has been purchased by him that is under the government and lordship of Jesus Christ that is to be employed for him. So you're not giving yourself a free pass anymore and saying, excusing the use of your tongue. 
because of these extenuating circumstances and those extenuating circumstances. But rather to see those sins mortified, those heart sins, mind you, that are mortified in the sins of the tongue, that the tongue would be used for him, that there would be godly practice, that we would walk in holiness in the fear of the Lord and in pursuit of what pleases him, that we would do so in our service and sanctification, that we would do so in our suffering, that we would be content with the allotment he gives, that in the exercise of his government, what he has given as our lot, we would receive with submission and devotion and love to him. Well, this is the government. The government shall be upon his shoulder. But then thirdly, we have the governed. For unto us, don't forget, we saw last week, it's unto us the child is born. It's unto us the son is given. So that the government would be upon his shoulder. It is unto us those who are governed by him. Who are the governed? Poor helpless lost sinners. What a sorry lot. The Lord doesn't come to erect and exercise a government over the the mighty and powerful and beautiful and glorious and successful and luxuriant and so on and so forth. He comes in order to exercise and form a government out of lost sinners who are overwhelmingly needy, who have nothing to contribute, who can in themselves bring nothing to the table. So it is because Christ reigns by free grace. He reigns by free grace. Adam, our first father, mismanaged everything, and we in him. He was rendered incapable of any good. One who betrayed the trust given to him. And his posterity were therefore abandoned into the hand of an enemy. Abandoned, sold into slavery, and brought under the dominion of the enemy of all enemies. The kingdom of darkness, the devil. That, that grossest of all of the forms of tyranny that have ever been seen. And there we were with none to deliver. None to deliver us. We couldn't deliver ourselves. Adam couldn't deliver himself. None of his posterity can deliver themselves. We can't rely on other people like us to deliver us. They can't do it. The angels, sinless, beautiful, powerful, they can't do it either. They can't save us. There's only one. It's the Lord Jesus Christ. And here he is. He comes to those who are the least of all. And as we saw in the introduction, he is the lawgiver. He alone, Jehovah, is the lawgiver. He alone is the king. Jehovah alone is the judge. He will save us because he alone can save us. Therefore, he alone does 
save us. And so the governed are those who are brought out of, a, out of one dominion under a glorious dominion. We're still slaves. We're always slaves. There is no such thing as universal uh, emancipation, as I've said. We're either slaves of the devil or slaves of the Lord Jesus Christ. But what a glorious thing it is to be slaves of Christ. To be a slave of Christ is to be the freest of all the free. There's true freedom under the yoke of the Lord Jesus Christ. There it is in him. To be made servants of the Most High God so that we're citizens. We look around and we see all sorts of things crumbling and falling apart and all sorts of difficulties near at hand and far away and, and so on. We see all these things and then we, we recognize, wait a second, our citizenship is in heaven, in the words of Philippians. We're citizens of an eternal kingdom that is otherworldly, that's beyond the pale and reach of this crumbling, chaotic world. What a glorious thing that is to be able to come under the yoke of Jesus Christ and to be able to, with true liberty and, and freedom in Jesus Christ, to serve him, to go to war with him as the captain of our salvation, to wage war ourselves against the devil, to wage war against the world with all of its pernicious ideology, to be, wage war against the sin, indwelling sin that is within our, our own hearts, to give ourselves as servants to saying we will, we will die in the process of seeking first his kingdom, erecting the walls of Zion. We will give everything while we have breath to see that kingdom, the kingdom of our great and glorious king, advanced. To see it brought forward. To see his name exalted. To see it advanced through the salvation of sinners. Who are brought into the kingdom of light. The building up of God's people in holiness. The bright light that shines. And the joyful sound that is trumpeted. What a happy dominion that is. What a happy dominion to be under the dominion of, of Jesus Christ, to be those who are governed by him, to be cared for by him, so that he provides everything, body, soul, our minds, our, our, our various faculties, our resources, everything that we need to serve him, to do more for him, to glorify him. He cares for us. And so we ought to resign ourselves to trust him, to live by faith in him, to be confident that, yes, indeed, all things do work together for the good of those who love him. It's true that he who, gave, he who spared not his own son, how will he not with him also freely give us all things? It's true to resign ourselves to trust him. I mean, we look at the church. And in, in times in the past, we look at the church at times in the present, and we, we, we see declension. We think, oh, how woeful. Zion, the, the Jerusalem, is not a praise in all the earth, as she ought to be. Zion is not depicting all that God has called her to be. The church is in steep declension. The gold has grown dim. 
And there's so much to break the heart. What do we do? We go to him. We go to the king. We seek him for help. We say in the words of Psalm 119, verse 126, O Lord, it is time for thee, Lord, to work, for they have made void thy law. It is time for thee to work. They have made void thy law. To go to the king as his governed people and to cry out to him and to give him no rest until he makes Jerusalem a praise in all the earth. Until the knowledge of the glory of the Lord covers the earth as the waters cover the sea. Until the kingdoms of this world are made the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ. And he reigns forever and ever. We'll have more to say about that when we get, God willing, to verse 7. But you think also about all of our personal, our personal difficulties. What do we do? We go to him, the one who is able and willing to provide all, who says, I will shoulder it. I'm, I'm the one who carries the burdens. You're to cast your cares. You're to cast your anxieties. You're to cast your burdens upon me. Because I'm the one who cares for you. We're also to therefore submit everything to him, every area of our life. Is that true? Are you submitting to him? Are you yielding to his absolute and comprehensive lordship over your life? I'm speaking to you who are believers. Is it the case that you came to the service this afternoon and you sat down? And the fact is that you know, and the Lord knows, and the Lord knows that you know, that there are things in your life and there are areas in your world that you at this moment are unwilling to yield to his lordship. Well, bless God for his mercy, because he's come for you this afternoon. And those things that are at the forefront of your mind, which he has brought with perhaps a little sting to your conscience, he has done so mercifully. He's calling you that, that particular area, that particular thing that you've been unwilling to give, to yield to submit to his lordship, you must do. He must be Lord of all. He must be Lord of all. For those of you who are outside the Lord Jesus Christ, what would you think of the comparison? You know, you're given two options. You can spend your entire life in North Korea or you can spend your entire life in one of the more free, anyway, Western countries. Just about everybody here would say no-brainer. No-brainer. That's easy. And yet that comparison is really and truly nothing by way of comparison. Because you're given two options this afternoon. One is 
to not only spend all your life, but all of your eternity under the reign of the most diabolical, most diabolical tyrant ever, far worse than North Korea. The devil himself. Or to spend both your life and your eternity under the reign of the most beautiful, glorious king that has ever been known, the Lord Jesus Christ. In other words, life and death is once again set before you this afternoon. And you're being called upon as you were last Lord's Day to choose life, to flee to the Lord of life, to come under the King of life, to extol, worship, adore, and spend all of your days serving the most glorious King of the most glorious kingdom that will ever be known. May the Lord bless these things to our hearing. Let's stand for prayer. O Lord, our God in heaven, our great God and Savior, the one who is indeed King, a divine King who reigns and rules with power. How thankful we are for the Lord Jesus Christ, who has given all power and authority in heaven and earth. O Lord, grant that we would be brought under him to submit ourselves coming to him savingly and sincerely to be saved by the only Redeemer of God's elect, the Lord Jesus Christ, and to take him in all that he is as Lord and Governor, as Messiah the Prince, as King, as the head of his church, that he might be given the preeminence that he might have all the glory, both in time and eternity. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.